father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Welcome to the ASMR episode. Today, I'm going to recount the story of Lord of the Rings for you, entirely in the style of ASMR. You see, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And his name was Bilbo Baggins. And one day Gandalf decided to take him on an amazing quest. Oh god, what are you doing? Tapping! They always do tapping in, in ASMR videos. It's my turn to do a Star Wars ASMR. Alright, let's hear it. Okay. Binks. <laughs> We sat in here, monsters out there, all sinking and no power. When you said think it, we sat in trouble. Wow. Okay, day. You could not have picked a more relaxing part of the movie I know. to feature yeah. in that <laughs> ASMR video. Good job, Ryan. Thank you. No, we're not really going to do ASMR because we're not honestly that relaxed as people. But I will be talking as Jar Jar for the entire episode. Ooh, look forward to that. Oh, muy, muy, I love you. God almighty. I think that's grounds for instant divorce. Just kidding. JK, LOL. So, Ryan. Yeah. No Star Wars news this week, huh? Nope. I mean, there is news, but I don't want to talk about it because it's all about how little money Solo made as the seventh highest grossing Memorial Day weekend movie of all time. Mm, uh, yeah, making no money is a very relative term in Hollywood. I don't feel like talking about it because they're not, this isn't money talk. That's we're not the Planet about. Money team. No, we're not. No. We're not that. We're not even us weekly. No, we're an educational service to teach you things. Provided no. to you at no cost through your taxpayer dollars. So I guess there is a cost because you're yeah. paying it in taxes. Surprise! Brought to you by listeners like you. We'll have our pledge drive later this year. So you don't have any Lord of the Rings news either? I do not. Our last episode ran a bit long, so I feel like maybe we should just get right Let's into it this dive time. In. Because we have got four big episodes of Hobbitit to discuss. Hobbitit. And these four episodes, the first five, they took their sweet time yeah. getting through what was essentially the first half of the first book. Should we recap for people who didn't catch the last one? Yeah. Hobbitit is the Finnish miniseries of Lord of the Rings that aired in the 90s? 1993. Yep. It is a nine-part miniseries starring who were apparently many of Finland's most beloved actors. It was based on a hit play mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that ran in Helsinki the summer before. And everybody has insane wigs. Yep. The atmosphere is very grim and brown and muddy. And it sort of looks like it's maybe about like fourth century Western Europe. Mm-hmm. But with green screens. But with lots of green screens. And migrating reindeer. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we talked about the first five episodes last week, if you didn't listen to that. So if you feel a bit out of your depth, go back and listen to that one. 
But if you're all caught up, let's proceed to episode six, because here's where things start cooking. In fact, things start moving so fast that the episode essentially fires up with our narrator, Old Sam, telling us, oh yeah, and then by the way, we went through the minds of Moria. Yeah, that huge set-piece action scene of the Peter Jackson movies. Is this relegated to a flashback? It is literally, I'm not even joking, I think it's five seconds long. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. So they show you some orcs in a cave, but they're not really orcs. They're just, like, these weird cave dudes. They have, like, funny faces. Like, they have, like, some prosthetics on, but they're all wearing, like, furs, and they have clubs, and they're basically cavemen. They look like Neanderthals. Like, somebody tried to make, like, Neanderthals. Yeah. So we see the Fellowship fighting these Neanderthals, and then there's no Balrog. Just, like, well, there was no Nazgul actually stabbing Frodo on Weathertop. We just suddenly get Gandalf falling, spinning into what looks like Hell's butthole. Yeah, he wrote that Gandalf got flushed down a Hell toilet. <laughs> so he's just falling into this like this hole wreathed in fire. Now, not to spoil anything later, but he does mention the Balrog in the last episode, and it just doesn't. Ever show. Oh, that's right, he does. Yeah. Like, oh, and by the way, I fought the Balrog. Yeah, yeah. But we don't see the Balrog. We don't know why he just fell into hell. He just does. And if the Fellowship is sad about it, we don't really see that either. Because the next thing we know, they're in Lothlorien. Lothlorien, yeah. Which in this movie is not a beautiful, glittering city of trees and very stoic elves it's like a forest with a lake in it and the lake has a lady's face in it and there's this laughing singing and crying the entire time well in the background yes and when we say lake though like we shouldn't dignify it that much it's a pond it's a pond it's a smallish pond with a giant woman's face we in could it. call galadriel the lady of the lake but no she's really more the person of the pond person of the pond exactly i mean this scene Galadriel does convey a certain level of melancholy. She's kind of sad in that lake. She's very sad to be trapped inside a smallish pond. And she shows them a vision of the scouring of the Shire. Yeah. Which, once again, if you had not read the book, would make no sense whatsoever. Because there's, like, no context for it. But um, for those who only know Lord of the Rings from the Peter Jackson movies, The Scouring of the Shire was not featured in those movies. The Scouring of the Shire takes place after the ring has been destroyed and Sauron has been defeated. The hobbits return to the Shire, and Saruman and Grima Wormtongue have sort of taken over things. And they are running this little despotism in the Shire, and the hobbits have to band together and kick them out. Yeah. And this is the vision that Frodo sees in Galadriel's pool. Except it's everybody who sees it in Hobbitit. Mm-hmm. And basically the scouring in the Shire boils down to Sam seeing a vision of Rose Cotton spit-shining a guy's shoes. It's really rough. And he literally, like, puts his hands on his face and goes, oh, no! It's quite traumatic. Yes, it's very, very upsetting to see Rose spit-shining some shoes. I mean, I'm much more traumatized by that laughing, singing, and crying. I'm just going to play a clip of that real quick because it's really weird. So yeah, that's atmospheric. Yeah. For a given definition of the word atmosphere. For a horror movie. For a horror movie. Galadriel does her all shall love me in despair speech after she is offered the ring, which is quite intense. However, right in the middle of it, they go to an extreme close-up of Gimli's weeping eyes, which like completely kills the tension. Yeah, Gimli is like, has a scene here for some reason. Sort of. And he's like, why did I come on this quest? Yeah, he really starts to die. He has said nothing up to this point. And remember, Gimli is not a dwarf. He's a short, balding man with a five o'clock shadow. And conjunctivitis. Conjunctivitis. And, like, 
wearing a sack. Yes. So we don't know anything about his character, except now apparently we know that he's been filled with self-doubt this entire quest. He wonders aloud, why did I come on this quest? Why didn't I just go to the doctor and get some topical cream and eye drops? (laughs) And I don't know if it's just the screen resolution, but his eye infection looks worse than ever. Maybe it's whatever fake tears they put in his eye to make him cry. I think those were real tears. I think Gimli was acting his heart out. It's good because that's the only scene where he speaks. We hear a really pretty sort of Lothlorien song. Yeah, it's really nice. Let's, uh, you can hear it real quick. This is as, as they're rowing their boat away from Lothlorien. And it should be noted that in contrast to this really beautiful sort of stately song, the boat is moving at like 200 miles an hour. Right. Okay. They're out in front of a green screen. They're not actually in a boat. Yes. But they're rowing very slowly and the boat's like blasting down the river because like of all the trees in the background. Boat. It is so fast. Like, it looks like whitewater rafting, but in the back <laughs> yeah, they're just like, like, they're rowing like regular paddle boats. It's very interesting. Meanwhile, around this time, we start getting hints that Frodo has begun to come under the power of the ring and turn more Gollumish. Yeah. But the way that the actor denotes this is by doing like a frog voice. He sounds like this. Uh, Sam, I'm falling under the power of the ring. Here's a quick sample of that. It is creepy. I understand what they were going for. It's a weird choice. There are probably other ways he could have shown that he was falling under the ring's power, but no, we have frog voice. Well, so. we already have Gollum established as having a kind of a froggy voice, and so it makes sense. He's... Sort of. Yeah. Not to that extent. I mean, Frodo, honestly, he sounds like he smokes misty menthol light 120s. <laughs> it's hot out here in Mordor. Smoking the pack like, a day. Like 50% of my, my customers when I worked at CVS Pharmacy. Yeah. Then we get Legolas's only line. So earlier, Gimli had his only lines. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to get Legolas's. Legolas, by the way, if you have ever seen Game of Thrones, looks like a very poor man's Loras Tyrell. Yeah, he looks like, like his understudy. Yeah. This is after they've gotten off the boats, and they're looking toward Mordor. And Legolas comes over, and he puts a hand on Frodo's shoulder, and he says something. And the way it's shot says, hey, audience, like, pay attention to this. But the way the sound mixing is says, we don't care if you hear this or not, because you literally cannot hear what he says. They didn't even subtitle it. No, they did not. They didn't even bother. Even the people, the presumably native Finnish-speaking people who subtitled this could not understand what he was saying. Let's see if you can make it out. I mean, what a line. He's like, oh, and then just wanders off, and that's all we ever hear from Legolas. I thought it was maybe he was like, maybe like praying for Frodo or something, like even like an maybe? elven blessing or something, like, and just saying, Hail under his Mary, breath. full of grace, or whatever. Yeah, right. If so Frodo doesn't react. Hail Galadriel, full of grace. Yeah, that. right. It's really weird, and that's the last we ever hear from Legolas. Because he just Fs off after that. We don't see him at all in the rest of this miniseries. No, we do not. No, we really do not. Yeah. After Legolas's weird non-line. We get Frodo's confrontation with Boromir, which is basically just Boromir standing behind him, glaring and mm-hmm. speaking in a, a a very intense but rather soft voice about how he wants to take the ring to Gondor. He's very sweaty. He's extremely sweaty. I mean, like, you thought the Minotaur from the Ewok Adventure Part 1 was sweaty? Like, Boromir's ten times that sweaty. Yeah. And we don't even see his nipples, so we don't know if they're dry. I'm sure they're soaking. Slick, slick nips. 
Obviously, Frodo gets scared off mm-hmm, by Boromir, mm-hmm. and he decides to go to Mordor alone. And of course, Sam tries to tag along with him. We don't get their cute little, like, Sam trying to follow him in the boat and then almost drowning and Frodo saving him. We don't get that. What we essentially get is Sam being like, can I go with you to Mordor? And Frodo being like, I guess. Yeah, Frodo becomes a real jerk. <laughs> he kind of does. Like, poor Sam is so endlessly sweet and loyal. And Frodo is... <sighs> I think the way that it's supposed to be interpreted is, like, he's getting really depressed and fatalistic, and he knows he's not going to come back from this quest, and he's trying to make Sam understand that Sam is also walking into certain death. Mm -hmm. But the way it comes across is that photo is just, like, very cold and very impatient with Sam all the time. I mean, I think I thought it was just the ring corrupting him and making him a jerk. That's also entirely possible. Maybe we're supposed to read it that way, but in either case, Frodo just, like... He's like, yeah, come if you want, whatever. I guess. I guess, yeah, sure. Sure. And so they head off to Mordor. Meanwhile, this weird pseudo, like, powwow music starts up. Yeah. It sounds like the drum music they play in those videos I watch about, like, finding your power animal. Oh, God. Like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. And some quote-unquote orcs show up again the cavemen again cave people they kill boromir immediately well he gets like he's got a freaking pincushion, man he's like full of arrows like he does not even get a single hit in also he doesn't appear to die while protecting the hobbits as he does in the peter jackson movies right he just just bites it immediately and and like he bleeds a lot it is gory yeah like, I was surprised by how gory it was. There's a lot of blood coming out. There's at least, like, ten arrows sticking out of his chest at a given point. And he falls down and dies, and then we get Boromir's death song. Do you have that song? I do. All right, fire it up. Rip. Pour a 40 out for old Boromir. Seriously, doesn't that make you feel like you've just watched a guy get stuck with like 10 arrows and die on the ground while being sweaty? You watched a sweaty samurai bleed out. (laughs) Yeah, keep in mind, he is a samurai throughout this entire thing. Yeah. That's it for episode six. Episode seven, Sam and Frodo get to Mordor, and Frodo suddenly rather casually mentions that Gollum has been following them. Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way, like this entire time. Yeah. Since when? I don't know, because they have not shown him or mentioned him up to this point. We suddenly get Seinfeld slap base. Kind of, yeah. When they're, when they're, they're trying to descend this cliff face on these ropes, and there's kind of like the boing, 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 kind of bass line going. We'll get a quick taste of that. So imagine that while two hobbits are trying to scale down a cliff on an elven rope. Which is probably one of the more tense scenes in the whole movie, them scaling down that cliff, Mm -hmm. I have to say. Yeah. They make it down, and Gollum makes it down too. He do. Again, Gollum played by the same actor as Aragorn. Who is like... Pudgy, not particularly ill-fed or sunken-eyed. Just like this middle-aged dude in a thong. Yep. They capture Gollum. Yep. Frodo holds him at sword point. The sting, right? Yeah. And this is kind of interesting. So instead of calling him Smeagol, Frodo calls him Smeagol. Smeagol. And what's interesting about that is that's actually how it's pronounced. What? Smeagol. If you read it, there's like an accent mark. 
Oh, no. In the book. And I think even the Peter Jackson, like, whole production has acknowledged that it is properly pronounced Smeagol. Golly. But they just went with Smeagol. Do you know Do you know that producer Gollum? No! No, it's lies! Did you know that your name is actually supposed to be Smeagol oh, oh, and not Smeagol? Oh, oh. Will it be Smeagol? It's fine. Smeagol's good. <laughs> Smeagol's okay, too, either way. Wow, he's so Pitches like Splash's master, either way, is fine. You're so Shut funny. up, you're such a tool! Get back in the box! You get back in the box, producer no, Gollum, you no, we'll, we'll get back in the box, yes. We have to do the ones and twos, masters. I wish Gollum would leave poor Smeagol Smeagol alone. I wish you'd leave the studio! Gollum! I wish you could wash your head in bubblegum and send it to the Navy. We will later, masters. Don't worry. Smeagol Smeagol is going to take care of the, the cans. I love producer Smeagol. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a stand-up dude. That Gollum, though. Yeah, pain in the butt. What's also interesting about Frodo suddenly calling Gollum Smeagol is that there's no big reveal or anything that Frodo knows Gollum's true name. Like, Gollum does not seem particularly surprised that Frodo knows this name that has not been used in, like, 500 years. Yeah, yeah. Like, he never asks, like, what did you call me? Because that's, like, one of the scenes I really, really like in The Two Towers mm-hmm. is, like, Gollum getting all excited that somebody called him Smeagol. Right, Because he yeah. hasn't heard it in centuries. But in this, Gollum's just like, yeah, he, like, knows it, whatever. Like, he doesn't even react. He's chill. He's chill. He's whatever. And then Frodo and Sam curl up, and Frodo has this incredibly depressing speech to Sam that's basically like, look here, Samwise Gamgee. We're gonna die. Yeah. And imagine a frog telling you that. Imagine a frog. Look here, Samwise Gamgee. We're toast. We're We're toast. Okay, no, we're just not gonna come back. We're crossing that old river, Jordan. Yeah. And Sam's like, oh. And then Frodo goes to sleep. Yeah. They both take a nap, and we get a really cute Hobbit sleepy song. It's cute audibly. Visually, it's also where Gollum is lurking around their camp trying to steal the ring. (laughs) Which is a really, really strange juxtaposition. There's actually several moments where Frodo and Sam have a cute moment, but Gollum is, like, photobombing it. (laughs) Gollum kind of ruins these emotional scenes a lot of the time, which is just like Gollum to do, but... I mean, he would do that. Yeah. But it comes across, like, really unintentionally hilarious. But anyway, can you roll the Hobbit Sleepy slash Gollum Lurking song? Yep. Katon alla on vuodessi jatkuna, toki uupumus ei jalkoja paina, joka nurkan takana kohtaamme aina. Nice. Cool. So that's episode seven. Mm-hmm. Episode eight opens up with the famous Gollum, quote-unquote, schizophrenia scene. Yeah. That's what people called it when it was in the Peter Jackson version. It probably shouldn't properly be called schizophrenia. What people are probably thinking of is, like, dissociative identity disorder, which is different. Mm -hmm. But that's neither here nor there. The scene where Gollum talks to himself. The scene where he talks to himself, and he goes back and forth as Smeagol and Gollum. Yes. And we get that. Except in the Peter Jackson version... It's implied that Gollum has sort of snuck off somewhere by himself to have this conversation. Like, there's nobody around to hear him. Right. In this, Gollum is having this conversation literally right next to Frodo, and he is, like, yelling. So he's like, we should kill him. No, no, we shouldn't kill him. Yeah, murder that filthy habit. And Frodo is literally sleeping right next to him. He's a real sound sleeper, I think. Or he just, like, doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, he's already pretty fatalistic here. The hobbits wake up, but not because of his shouting, just because they wake up. Yeah. They make it to the Black Gate. They do. Gollum takes them to the Black Gate. 
which they are at for like a minute and a half. It's pretty short. It's it's pretty brief. There's like a couple cave people guarding it. Yeah, just kind of rooting around, shaking bones at each other and fighting and stuff. It's not entirely dissimilar from in the Peter Jackson version because we get Gollum's whole like, no, we can't go that way. Don't take it to him. Right. I'll right. show you another way. We'll go to Kirith Ungol. Yeah. And they get to Kirith Ungol in like three minutes. It's very quick. <laughs> it's a short little jog. Yeah. They get to Kirith Ungol. What's interesting here is instead of the stairs of Kirith Ungol going up, they go down. They go down into a cave. Down into a cave rather than up into a mountain. And once they get in there, they have to cross a bridge. Yes. And Sam is very scared to cross this bridge. Sam is scared of bridges. So the way that he overcomes his fear is to start, like, screaming at the top of his lungs <laughs> about elephants. Yeah, he's like, elephants! They have four legs and big, big fluffy ears. ears! They have these tusks! Just tell you about elephants! And Gollum the whole time is standing there like, okay, go, go, go. keep walking, go! Yeah. Like, trying to usher him across this bridge, and Sam's just like, the elephants, the elephants! And then he winds up this speech with uh, this, this thing about how at least the Shire has its own culture i really like that yeah that was fun <laughs> like i have absolutely no idea where that came from but okay sam yeah sam, I like little sam. sam's got some good little monologues in this one he like, does I, actually i really like sam the sam actor's pretty good yeah I mean, i'm into him they make it across the bridge and then they see the eye of sauron which is literally just like a giant human eye superimposed in the sky yeah it's kind of creepy it's it is actually intensely creepy i thought it would you, you would think it would look stupid from my description yeah and on one level it, it does. does on the other level it is kind of spooky yeah it is a little bit spooky, so the, the eyes just kind of like looking around all paranoid, like it just smoked too much weed. Frodo and Sam, just before they go deeper into the cave where Shelob the spider lives, yes, they sit down and they have a little conversation. And it's very sweet and very mm. tender. It is the whole conversation about Sam talking about the storybooks and how in the future they'll talk about the famous Mr. Frodo and his brave deeds. And then Frodo says, oh, you know, what about the famous Mr. Sam? Frodo wouldn't He's have gotten far character. without Sam. He's my favorite character. It's very sweet, especially since, like, this is the first tenderness that Frodo has thrown Sam's way in, like, mm -hmm. a while. So Sam is soaking it up like this abused puppy. It's very sweet. <laughs> Please say nice things to me, yeah. Mr. Frodo. But then... But the whole time. The whole time. Gollum is incessantly photobombing it. Like, he keeps popping his head up and making these stupid faces. He is mugging so hard. He's such a ham in this. He's just, like, in the background, crawling around, making, like, oh, ah, ee, faces. And the effect is hysterically funny. Yeah, because imagine Frodo and Sam are next to each other, and then, like, the little gap between them. Gollum's back there just, just hamming it up. Just, just like, ee, ooh, ha! There's no reason to be doing this. He, and he leaves for a few minutes, or like, and he's, or like, okay, good, he's gone. Then he comes back, and he keeps doing it some more, and it's like, <laughs> it's come on. Gollum, give it a rest! Yeah. I mean, that is just like Gollum to do that, but at the same time, maybe change the camera angle, or you don't have, have a minute. Or don't have a minute, he didn't need to be in the frame. Right. That would be, like, my one major criticism. Yeah. Otherwise, this movie is, like, beyond critique. I mean, it is, like, airtight. It's pretty good. Anyway, so after that tender scene, they go into Shelob's lair, but there's no Shelob because there's no budget for Shelob, just like there was no budget for Frodo to get stabbed on Weathertop, and there was no budget for a Balrog. And so, in the grand tradition of Hobbitit, we zoom in on Frodo's face, and he goes, ugh, and faints suddenly. And two seconds later, he is completely wrapped up in some webs, and yeah. Gollum's running around yelling, Shelob got him! But we don't know who Shelob <laughs> is or how she got him. 
Gollum just is like throwing a little bit of explanation the yeah, audience's way. A little bit of name dropping. A little bit of name dropping. And Gollum skitters off and Sam is left with this seemingly dead Frodo wrapped in webs. Right. Somehow. We don't somehow. know how. We didn't see a spider. We didn't <laughs> see him get stabbed. He's just walking through the cave and then... <gasps> episode 9, the final episode. The finale. Sam has another very like emotional monologue here about mm-hmm. how Mr. Frodo is dead. He's gone where Sam can't follow. Sam is very upset. Mm-hmm. Some orcs show up, and as in the Peter Jackson version, and as in the book, they reveal that Frodo isn't actually dead. He's just been knocked unconscious, so it's, that yeah. Shilo can eat him alive. He's like comatose. He's at like comatose. He unlaps Frodo. Frodo has regained consciousness. Sam reveals that as Frodo was unconscious, he has taken the ring for safekeeping, and Frodo's reaction is to grab Sam's wrist and bite it for like 12 yeah. solid seconds. <laughs> He bit his buddy. It's like he puts it in his mouth and he's just like, like I'm not kidding. Twelve full seconds. It's a good gnaw in there, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Sam doesn't. I mean, he kind of reacts like he's in pain, but not the kind of pain you'd really be in if somebody was biting you at full force for twelve seconds. Right. He's just kind of gumming at it, or maybe he's like sucking on it. I don't know. He's getting his intention somehow. He is. He is. I mean, he gets his point across. So Sam gives the ring back to Frodo. So Sam was the ring bearer for all about ten minutes. Yes, for all about ten minutes. And what I love is like how. In other versions, after Frodo has this little freak out, he, like, apologizes to Sam. He's like, I'm so sorry, Sam, but this is my burden to bury. It would destroy you, blah, blah, blah. In this, he's just like, yeah, give it back. Yep. And he puts it back on. He's like, all right, let's go. Like, he does not apologize for biting him or anything. I assume it happened off screen. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it's maybe like, what they dude, didn't was... show is him being like, hey, man, I was really in the wrong there. That was messed up. Yeah, you're not yourself when you're hungry. <laughs> I got a little bit angry. I need, sorry. A, I need a, a Snickers. <laughs> yes. And by Snickers, I mean the ring the around ring. my neck. <laughs> that was a flawless metaphor. Thank you. So now they suddenly get to Mount Doom. They're because there. Everything is just really, really close together in this. So they come out of Kirith Ungol, and Mount Doom is right there. And it's a majestic set. Mount and Doom. by majestic, I mean it looks like the super aggro crag. <laughs> if you ever watched Guts as a child, it Guts. is about that size and about that level of craftsmanship. A lot of fog machine going on. Some it's... neon lights color-coded according to your team. You have a woman named Mo as the referee. They roll some styrofoam boulders at you sometimes. Yeah. No, but it is about, I mean, like that is probably the best visual I can give you because it is not very big. I just assume they popped out, like, at the peak. There's probably more mountain down there, but... Maybe that's what we're supposed to assume. Or there's just not very big mountains in Finland. And also, as a volcano, I gotta say, the whole... What would you call it? What do you call that hole in the volcano? Caldera. The caldera, thank you, yeah. is very small. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's about the size of a manhole. Like... <laughs> yeah. It's teeny, teeny, tiny. It's like, I can't believe anything was forged in this thing. It's such a tiny... Like, little... how did he even do it? Did he, like, tie it to a rope and just, like, lower it down? <laughs> Like, into the caldera and then, like, pull it back out. With a fishing pole? Yeah, with, like, a fishing rod. Like, yeah. it's about that size. Which further strengthens my impression that this is not a terribly large mountain. Now, Soren went ice fishing. He did. He did, with a ring. This unfolds about how you would expect. So Sam does carry Frodo up the mountain, but there's only about eight feet to carry <laughs> him. Which is good, because it looks like Sam's actor is, like, really struggling. Because Frodo isn't as... He's not a tiny little slip of a thing like Elijah Wood is. Yeah, he's, he's like, you know, a full-grown full full man. man. Yeah. Can you imagine on, like global guts if there's like two countries that had to help each other up the mountain they carry each other up the up the agro crag that would be amazing it's like a win together you're like oh i can't carry it for you 
Blue Barracudas, but I can carry you! You're mixing up Nickelodeon game shows. I know Blue Barracudas is Legend of the Hidden Temple, right? It doesn't matter. It'd be like Radical Ricky and... Yeah, yeah, that's right. They all those nicknames. Like Bonsai Brittany. Bonsai Brittany got carried up the mountain by Radical Ricky. Yeah. And then Mo was like, okay, well, that's against the rules, so neither of you win. You're supposed to be competing. What are you doing? Mo, let's go to the score. Mo! Thanks, Mike. It looks like Radical Ricky and Bonsai Brittany are both disqualified <laughs> helping each other up the mountain. That's not what Guts is about. It's not called yeah. friendship. It's called Guts. The winner is Hapless Harrison. And he's still I'm at the bottom of the mountain, like, tripping and oof, ow, breaking ow, his glasses ow, ow, and ow. having an asthma attack. Why am I on this show? I thought I'd be on Nick Arcade. <laughs> yeah, that's what he signed up yeah. for. So it's basically exactly like that. Yeah. I can't even remember where we're going with this, but it's basically exactly like that. Sam Carey and Frodo up the Edgar Craig. Yes. Once they get to the top, Frodo goes to destroy the ring, and then he decides, no, I'm going to keep it. Gollum shows up. This scene is more a little bit more true to the books than the Peter Jackson movies. In the Peter Jackson movies, Frodo is actually instrumental in pushing Gollum into mm. the yeah. fires of Mount Doom, which is not how it goes down in the books and not how it goes down in Hobbitit. Gollum just trips and falls in. Right. Which makes it less ambiguous. Like, Gollum is the one who destroyed the ring. He is the reason that the ring got destroyed. Like, the, not Frodo, it's Gollum. The true hero of the story. The true hero of the tale. That's right! <laughs> So Gollum, stop. Yeah, you know, buddy, you've been complaining about that for years. You're like one of those guys who talks about how they used to play football in high school. I could have gone to varsity. <laughs> so, so Chubby Thong Man falls in yep. to the caldera, and the ring is destroyed. And we don't see, like, the volcano erupting or the eagles carrying the way. Again, we just get a flash cut to Frodo waking up in Rivendell. It's Sam waking up in Rivendell. And Sam waking up in Rivendell. It's Sam wakes up first. Yes, he does. That's right. And it is brighter than ever. It is so bright. And its brightness is only further emphasized when Gandalf the White walks in. Oh, dude. And oh my God, is he white. He's so white. His hair is white. His robes are white. His face is white. They painted all of his skin white. And because of how bright the lights are in Rivendell, it looks blue. It looks like he is dead of hypothermia. It looks like that guy who... Drank colloidal silver. Yes, the blue man. The blue man. The guy who drank all the colloidal silver and was like on Ricky Lake or whatever. Yeah, he looks like that. He with, looks with like that. a bright, like blazing white beard and mustache combo. His conquistador hairstyle still intact. Or you know those people who are supposed to like in the hills of West Virginia and all the inbreeding like yeah. made the circulation bad and so there's like this family of blue people. That's what he looks like. It's like that. It is really, truly, truly unnerving. Also, Frodo looks like hell well, he in this bad, scene. Yeah. He doesn't look like he's convalescing and, you know, like the burden has been lifted. He looks exhausted. He looks like a burnt out, like, Robert Smith or Neil Gaiman. He doesn't talk, talk like a frog anymore, though. Which he doesn't good. talk like a frog. Like, he the looks... bags under his eyes are the size of cats. I noticed this when I was pulling audio cues. Sam looks really good in this scene. Yeah, he does. He looks, like, really healthy. He looks, like, really... Well, you know, presumably Frodo's been out for a few days, so Sam hasn't been getting emotionally abused. Right. <laughs> so he's just, like... But he sits next to Gandalf, they have a little chit-chat about the adventure, and and then uh, Merry and Pippin show up, too. That's true, they do! And they are, like, decked out. They're, like, proper little warriors now. They have, like, suits of armor on, they have, they're decked out with weapons. They're like, oh yeah, BT dubs? We're, like, fighters now. We're fighters? I fought with Rohan, I fought... With Gondor, we killed all these orcs? Like, BT dubs, all this other stuff happened that Hobbit is never going to show you. No, yeah, it was, it's crazy. Like, And they are 
really hard now. They're tough. Like, they're super hard. The School of Hard Knocks has made them into tough little hobbits. And this is driven home, this point, when they get to the scouring of the Shire. Because just like Tom Bombadil and Old Man Willow and the Barrow Whites, the scouring of the Shire is actually in this version. Which is weird, because Gondor and Rohan aren't. Yeah, they don't, they, I mean, Gandalf is like, oh, by the way, Aragorn is the king now. They don't even show him. They don't like, even show him. Because, you know, the actor fell into a volcano. Like, in real life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in real life, he did. Like, a lot so of actors in these productions. They really did. That was, like, the sixth one they went through trying to get that shot. Yeah. They leave Rivendell. They go to the scouring of the Shire. Here's the other thing. They, like, don't really explain that it's Saruman that's behind all this. Yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, one of the hobbits just went bad on his own, and now he's this despot. And, and built a wall around the city. We built a wall. Build the wall. Build yeah. the wall. So they built a border wall all around the Shire, which, like, who even wants to get in there? It's just a big mud pit. And who paid for it? Mexico. Oh, yeah, okay. Mexico paid for oh, it. okay, thank you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the hobbits demand to be let back into the Shire, and they are told by the gatekeeper that they are not allowed to come back into the Shire. And Mary pulls out a sword, and he's like, I will straight up murder you if you don't <laughs> let us in. We're talking hardcore. This is how hard he's gotten. He's like, I am going to put this steel under your skin. I remember, Mary is like this little Jonah Hill-looking guy. With, like, Shirley Temple curls. Yeah. And like he's whipping out a sword. Yeah, this is like how hard they've gotten, yeah. or how bad their PTSD is. So after Mary threatens to straight up murder the guy, the guy's like, "Fine." And Mary's like, "I'm sorry, I can't even say it with a straight face because this is the funniest part of Hobbitit to me." Yeah, Mary's like, "I'm gonna blow the horn of Rohan and summon everybody together." And it's gonna be this big epic noise. It's gonna be like triumphant and be- bellow through the hobbit hall. You think it's gonna be like an old-fashioned hunting horn? A like bow. Boromir has a No. It is not. Let's hear it. <laughs> Alright, ready? Blow the horn of Rohan, Mary. Torve ja ilmoille kajahti pukimaan torvi merkki ja pian oli koko kylä jälkeen. Wow, what an epic sound. Oh, isn't that so inspiring? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the horn itself is not a cool, like, animal horn or like anything like that it's like a uh, little christmas ornament yeah. <laughs> of like an old-fashioned trumpet it's like a bugle a bugle it's a tiny bugle like when they cut to that that is the one part of hobbitit where i lost it i was like crying i you was were laughing so hard it was so funny because it's really unexpected he summons all the forces together and apparently they set the shire back in order we don't really see much of that nope we cut back to old sam tell him the story well actually not yet oh sorry 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 because there's one more thing that has to happen because right after they restore order to the shire which takes all of like half an hour seemingly it's quick yeah frodo who still looks like absolute hell, is like, you know what? I'm going to go to the Grey Havens. I'm out. I'm going to go to Valinor. And Sam's like, what? You can't leave. He's like, no, I'm leaving. Don't, you know, don't wait up for me. And apparently he walks there. Right. We don't see that. We see him walking down the road away from the Shire. Walking on the road, but we don't see how he gets there. We're like, okay, he's going to take a boat. We are assuming he gets to the Grey Havens and takes a boat, but for all we know, and given later evidence... Well, don't, don't spoil the ending here. He might actually walk there because we cut back to old Sam. Old Sam is concluding his story with the kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, and that's what happened. And now Frodo lives in the undying lands. And the kids are all like, wow, we don't care. Because they're just really uninterested looking. They kind of walk away. Just... They kind of wander away. They're like, God, I hate getting wrapped up in conversation with, like, crazy old Gamgee. There's, there's a couple kids who, like, hang back. And he, Sam just kind of gives them this look. 
And he's like, no, you gotta get out. I mean, he seriously, like, he just stares him down until they leave, and they do. He's like, get out. Yeah. Like, my story is done. You need to leave you now. Get out. And the reason he's so eager for them to leave is because now Sam has decided that he's going to go to Valinor. He walks out of his little hut. Yeah, he hobbles out. He walks up to the shore of the sea, which is apparently right next to Hobbiton. Mm-hmm. And then he straight up walks across the sea on top of the water like Jesus Christ. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And as soon as he gets to the horizon, he fades away. The end. Yeah. And there's this kind of nice song over the credits here. Lantern pine, lantern pine. On päivä laskussahansa. Harma laiva, harma laiva. Kuuletko kun kansa That's nice. So yeah, that's the song at the end, over the credits. And that's the end of Hobbit. And that's the end of Hobbit. So Ryan, final thoughts on Hobbit. I thought it was fun. I liked it. It was, again, low budget, clearly working with shoestrings and duct tape and rubber bands, but they did a good job, I think, as far as like hitting the emotional beats. I really like Frodo and Sam's interactions. The songs were great. Um, what, even the like Arabian snake dance music? I'm not talking about like, the vocal music. Oh, okay, yeah. I want the soundtrack, actually. If it existed, I would definitely buy it. Yeah. Impossible to understand if you didn't have any knowledge of the story. Oh, definitely. But... um, I mean, you read the book a long time ago. Were there any parts where you were like, what is this? Like, what's going on? No, I mean, between hanging out with you and watching the Peter Jackson movies a bunch, I was was okay. I was able to follow. Yeah. But if you hadn't, and it was your first exposure to it, you would be lost really quickly, I think. You know, my thing, especially with really, really low-budget movies, where it's clear that it was, like, a labor of love, yeah. I always like to look for the bright spots. And there are a lot of bright spots. It's really this. easy to tear it down, and yes, we have definitely had a laugh at some of the more questionable choices. There are also some things I really liked. There are some instances of really good acting. Mm-hmm. I Like you, I love Photo and Sam's interactions. I love some of Sam's monologues. I love the part where he just goes off about... Shire culture and elephants when he's walking across the bridge. That's very good. That's amazing. I love Gandalf yeah, in this. Yeah, Gandalf's awesome. Yeah. And some of the effects, even though they were cheap, are kind of cool. Like the old man Willow thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super, super shoestring budget. But I liked it. And the part with the Barrow Whites. Yeah. Almost incomprehensible, but that almost made it more creepy. Right. So, you know, I think that there's some there's some good reasons to watch this. Yeah, check it out. I mean, you don't have to watch the whole thing. And if you do, it's not that long. It's only nine episodes. Each episode's like... Like 23 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. But moving on from that, yeah. we have to talk about some more good stuff. Yeah. We, and by more good stuff, I mean the Ewok Adventure 2. The Battle for Endor. Yeah, we followed up our last movie with the sequel made in 1985, The Battle for Endor. And this movie is a trip, man. There's all kinds of stuff in it. This movie is amazing. And can can I just say this right up front? Like, yeah. why this movie is amazing? It completely negates the first movie in, like, the first ten minutes. Yeah, not to spoil a, a movie that's... Been out for, 33 like, years. Yeah. I mean, we start the movie with, you know, Wicked and Sindel running around the woods. They're still there. The family is still stuck on Endor. And then within the first ten minutes, these alien marauders come to the Ewok village and murder everybody including Mace and Mom and Dad. Like, we see Mom lying dead on the ground. We see Mace trying to defend her. And remember that Sindel has, like, a little life bracelet on with lights for each member of her family. 
And when one of the lights blinks out, that means that family member has died. So she sees her mom's light blink out. And then Mace tells her to run away. And then Mace's blinks we out. We see Mace's blink out. And then she finds her dad, who's, like, getting shooken down by pirates. And he gets shot and kind of stumbles away from the fight. And he tells, Sindel, run! I'll always be with you! And she runs, and then his light goes his out. His light goes out. So literally, Sindel's entire family dies so, in the first 10 minutes. What was the point of the first movie? Like, they saved the parents. Mace developed, I guess, kind of as a, a character. personality, yeah. As, as a hero. And then they just... Bite it, like, immediately. Immediately. And so, yeah, that's the beginning of this movie. The marauders are looking for some power source that the dad has no idea what they're talking about. They steal the power core from their ship. That seems like the whole reason for killing everybody. Uh, should be mentioned, too, at the very beginning, we find that Wicked has been learning more English. Yes. So I'm not sure exactly how long it's been taking Dad to fix this ship, but it must have been quite a while because Wicket now speaks passable English. He does. Hanging out with Sindel all the time. Yeah. Now, Ryan, when you were a kid, you were very annoyed that Wicket speaks English. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about it now? I think it makes sense if you figure they've been there for, like, many months. You know? Right. Because it's supposed to take place about about a year after the first movie. So, like, Wick would have a lot of time with the with the humans. He'd have a lot of time with Sindel playing around and learning some words. And he doesn't speak, like, perfect English. He's pretty broken. But and I, when I was younger, I was like, his voice is super weird. Eh. But I think it's okay. I think it's I think it's better. You don't have Burl Ives narrating this time. So, Wicked is kind of our, our in to the, what the Ewoks are saying. We don't, yes. We don't have Burl Ives, but it must be said, we have another big B name in this movie. And he is top build in this movie. Yes, he is, he is build even above War. Davis. I'm speaking, of course, about Brimley. Wilford he doesn't even... Brimley no, is in yeah. this movie. Wilford Diabetes Brimley. Is a major character and a pretty good character. I think he does a good job. We'll get to him later, though. Because right now, the village is getting burned down. The Ewoks are getting loaded into these ribcage carts. It's like a Conestoga wagon, but yeah. instead of, like, you know, the little covering over it, it's a ribcage. It's a ribcage. So you know these are bad people. They're getting pulled by these sort of, like, if, if you bred a T-Rex like you bred a dog to become a pug, like that's kind of what these things look like. They're kind of like the pug version of a T-Rex. Yeah, there's absolutely no rhyme or reason to them being bipedal. I looked it up. They're actually called Blurgs. Blurgs? And they're native to Endor. They have a whole island called the Island of Blurgs. Really? You didn't tell me about that on our Endor episode. I think I mentioned them, but we didn't delve into them deeply. But Got it. I looked it up. These are Blurgs. They're stop motion animation again. Very cool looking. Which I like. I love stop motion. And they're pulling it. Wicket tries to rescue his friends. Well, of course, like, the Ewoks try to fight back, but it's all with body tackles. Yeah, Wicket does the whole, like, two-year-old grabs your ankle and gets dragged around strategy. It doesn't work super great. No, it does not. And Sindel gets chucked into the ribcage. Yeah. After running away from her dying dad, who, by the way, got executed by, like, five guys at once. Oh, they, like, they, they surrounded him and shot him, like, 17 times. They, like, gangland executed him. Yes. As Sindel is running away. Yeah. So, bye, dad. Later. Cool. And Sindel seemed genuinely sad. I think Sindel's actors, acting got, like, a little bit better in the second yeah, one. Yeah, she's really good in this one, I think. Yeah, she, I think she legit does some good acting. And she actually looks sad when she's crying, as mm-hmm. opposed to before, where it's like, tears are running down her face, but she looked completely neutral. She mentioned, too, she's wearing an Ewok hood over her mini aerobics instructor outfit, which I think is kind of cute. Like, yeah, well, apparently she has gone through the rite of maturity. The hood, the hood ceremony, the yeah. The hood ceremony. She, now she is a woman. She's part she's of She's had her bat mitzvah. She's part of the tribe, yeah. She's, yeah. She had her quinceanera. Yeah, and, exactly. 
it, it should be mentioned too. There's an evil witch that hangs out with the with the Marauders. Basically, this witch looks like if you combined Rita Repulsa yeah. with Elvira with like a super super bad wig, like a Alice Cooper or Tommy Wiseau wig. That is this space witch, and she can has this magic ring, and she can transform into a raven. Yes. These marauders, as we said, capture Sindel, chuck her in the, the ribcage Conestoga wagon. And the leader and shakes her down. The leader shakes her down. Says, where is the sword? Where's the power? And she has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. And Because she's four. There's a line where it was hard to make out. I knew what he was trying to say, but at the time it, was, it sounded really funny. Where he says, you are a pretty guys. It's like, you are a pretty prize. But I thought, you are pretty guys? <laughs> she's a little girl, mister. Like, I know she's not your species, maybe you don't you're, know. You're like, a, you're like some kind of lizard ape man, and maybe you don't know what a guise looks like, but she's not a guise. She's, she's not a guise. She's not even plural, she's one person. I know, like, hello. Yeah. So anyway, they get, they get carted off toward the evil marauder's castle. Fortunately, Wicket is in the same Conestoga wagon as Sindel. Yeah. And, and his whole family's there. Yeah, and Wicket is, you know, he's trying to console Sindel, tells her, we're friends, and now you're part of Wicket's family now. Right. It's kind of funny because Wicket seems, like, totally down with Sindel's family being dead. She's like, my mom, my dad, my brother, my family's dead. And he's like, that's eh, all right, Wicket Sindel's family now. Yeah, here's a, I just want to give you a quick sample of what Wicket sounds like when he talks, because I think it should be known, like, when we, when, we, when we talk about Wicket, this is what he sounds like. You know what? You're my best friend. Mm, yes, best friend. So pretty, pretty cute. Pretty cute, like about what you would expect. Yeah. So these bad guys, obviously, the security on their Conestoga wagons is not exactly airtight, because Deej... As you'll remember, that's Wicked's dad. Yeah. Comes up with the idea to just, like, pull a floorboard off the bottom <laughs> of the wagon and, like, just jump out through the floorboard. Unfortunately, one of Deej's large adult sons uh, is and Whittle. too fat to fit through the <laughs> hole in the wagon. And Deej denotes this by, like, taking his hands and placing them on either side of large adult son's belly. And it looks like he's telling him to think of the baby. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny. <laughs> like, I literally thought he was saying that he was pregnant. Thankfully, Wicket's pretty small. And so he slips out along with Sindel and they roll off to the side of the road. Only Wicket and Sindel get away, though. Only those um, two. So apparently Deej is also too pregnant to fit through the, <laughs> the bottom of the Conestoga wagon because nobody else gets out. He's too old for this crap. He's too old for this crap. So uh, some of the baddies chase Wicket and Sindel. And Wicket and Sindel hide in a cave, and their pursuers immediately die in an avalanche. They do. They climb yeah. up the side of a mountain. And they're in this cave, and they run and run, and they try to find a way out, and it's just opened up to a cliff. And they're like, oh, darn it, where are we going to go? They're trapped. But then Wicket sees a pile of bones and skins and stuff, and he goes, it's really funny, aha! Well, yeah, Sindel picks up a femur and shows it to him, and, and we get a, and aha! And he throws his head back. Aha! It's like my favorite little Ewok moment. I should mention, too, the Ewok suits in this one are a lot more expressive, especially... Wickets, because he has, like, a jaw that can move when he talks. It goes up and down. It's like a marionette puppet or something. He says, aha, and he throws his head back, and he builds a glider. A hang glider. A hang glider out of bones and skin. These now, Ewoks are really efficient little guys. But as he's doing it, he, he wakes, up, wakes a, up a monster pterodactyl. It's actually called a condor dragon. Oh, look did you look that too. up? Yep. And it's another stop-motion monster. They do have, a, like, a large-sized puppet for, like, its feet. And I was reading about it, and apparently to make the model for the Condor Dragon, they actually reused parts of the Rancor model from Return of the Jedi. Oh, did they? Yeah, like, for some of the skin effects and stuff. That's cool. I didn't know that. What I do know is that when the monster wakes up, Wicket goes, Oh, damn! It sounds exactly like, Oh, damn! Oh, damn! 
And he runs away, and he sees Sindel get carried off by the Condor Dragon. And so he has to do some sick glider stunts to rescue her. He flies over the Condor Dragon. Yeah. And he drops a rock and bashes its head. And the Condor Dragon drops Sindel, and I wrote this down, after making a sound like the pirates in the second Genesis Garfield game. <laughs> Sorry? I have that sound on my computer. We can play it now. I don't... Okay. <laughs> I don't remember that, but okay, sure. Arr! He drops Sindel. And <laughs> he does. Wicked does some, sound like the Garfield game. Sindel, or Wicked does a, a cool nosedive and goes under Sindel, and Sindel crashes through the glider. Yeah, because fortunately Wicked can hang glide faster than a person can fall, somehow. It's, it's, it's gravity, it's fine. Sure. And they crash land in the woods, and they are found by a little furry creature. This furry creature is kind of like a buck-toothed little spider monkey dude named Teak. And we talked about Teak in our Endor episode, but if you forgot, they're like these little furry creatures that run really fast and steal things. And by run really fast, we mean that Teak moves like a ghost in a Japanese horror movie. It's really uncanny. It's, it's really scary. It's kind of that herky-jerky thing. Yeah. It's... But luckily, he J-Horror leads them to a hoarder's house in the middle of the woods. And Wicket and Sindel decide that they're just going to squat. Yeah, they're like, hey, this could be our house. Let's be squatters. So I guess Wicket has also given up on his family. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just live here forever. Yeah, it's fine. Wicket has, like, very little attachment to families in general. It seems like it. But as soon as they're about to settle into their new squatted home, who shows up but Brimley? He kicks the door open. Scary music plays, and there he is in all his mustachioed glory. He kicks the kids out, and he yells at Teak. He says, I'll deal with you later. It's like, whoa, are you gonna are you gonna beat him or something? Like, that's crazy. No, he just doesn't want them to stay because, and he literally says this, they might want to be friends. Yeah, and as we know, friends are social diabetes. Okay, yes. Here's another thing we have to mention. When Ryan and I started watching this and we realized Wilford Brimley was in it, we made a deal that each of us only got to make one diabetes reference. Yeah. That's it. Mine was when Wilford Brimley first shows up. He peeks through the door and I said, he's here to talk to them about diabetes. Yeah. Which was funny in context, not terribly funny out of context. Ryan had this extended metaphor hold on i wrote it down ryan said friends are social diabetes if you have too many friends it makes your blood sugar go high but soon he'll realize that friends are actually insulin and they help you balance everything out and that's the lesson he's going to learn that friends are actually insulin but for now he still thinks they're diabetes yes later wicket and sindel build a fire to snuggle down for the night yep and it's very cute and then suddenly Wilford Brimley shows up and immediately pours a bucket of water on the fire. And he yells at him. He yells at him a lot in this movie. Um, I do have a, a super cut of all the times, all the weird things he calls them. Oh, can, say, can I hear it? I mean, it's going to spoil some things later in the movie, but sure, let's hear it. All right. You nasty little bug lover. I've told you and I've told you I don't want no strangers around this place. And look what you've done. You brought them here and you don't even know who they are. Who are you? Jimmy, can't you give none of them muffins to them little beggars outside? You hear me? All right. What are you two little wood rats trying to do? Burn down the whole forest? Where are you hiding, you little rug rats? What are you talking about, you little beggar? Run, you little beggar. Run. He's so folksy. He is so folk, you little bounder. It should be mentioned, too, this is also the part of the movie. If you've been around the internet and you search for Ewok gif, there's always a gif that shows up of Wicket kind of rubbing Sindel's shoulder. That's kind of used as like a creepy pedophile type gif. And uh, this is the scene this comes from. It's very cute in context, but if you just loop that scene, it is a little bit unnerving. We can link it in the show notes. We will. They get allowed back in the house. Yes. And Sindel has a PTSD nightmare 
Whereupon Wilfred Brimley starts to kind of come around a little bit. Uh, he lets them sleep in his bed. Well, you say PTSD nightmare. You should probably describe this a little bit. Uh, she has a dream that the marauders are burning down his house outside. They're burning down the forest. Like That's the same marauders right. that killed her parents are coming to Wilford Billy's house to murder her too. Which is understandable for a four-year-old whose parents died literally that day. Yes. Wilford Brimley lets them in his bed, and it should be noted that at this time he is wearing an old-fashioned nightshirt, like in Twas the Night Before Christmas. Yeah. He kind of an old-timey look about him. I, I, I thought about this, too. I think he's the only Star Wars character you ever see who wears glasses. Oh, yeah! That's true! I guess everybody else is just, like, an advanced civilization. They're just getting LASIK or something. Yeah, he's got these, these round little Santa Claus glasses. Yes. And normally, it should be said, but he's not wearing a nightshirt. He wears a camo print hat and a hunter orange tabard. Well, you know, he doesn't get shot in the woods. Yes, exactly. That's why you're hunter orange. Exactly. He's, hunter, he's hunter safety. He knows, to, uh, he knows how to do that stuff. You always wear your hunter orange tabard when yeah. you're out hunting. Because Blurgs can't see it, but Ewoks can. So Exactly. Uh, he walks out in the woods with his staff. The next morning. The next morning. And he has this staff. It has a, kind of like a Furby on top of it. Like, it looks like, exactly like a Furby. It's got like a beak and, and pointy ears. Um, but then it cuts over to our evil castle of the Marauders. Yes. So there is Lord a... Tarak. Yes, and Lord Tarek is like a monster king. He's sitting on a throne. His jaw barely moves, so he's hard to understand. Yeah. And he is busting the witch's chops. Yes. About the, about the power. Where's the power? He doesn't understand how this power core works that they stole from Sindel's dad. Yeah. And for some reason, he is under the impression that a five-year-old child is going to know how to work it. Right. So he demands that she find Sindel. Right. And should, the witch's name is Charl. I don't think they ever say that in the movie. No. I don't remember her having a name. But I found this out later. So Charl, the, the raven witch, turns into a raven and flies off to find... They come back to Noah. He's coming home. He says, where are you hiding, little rugrats? Like the clip we just played. He made a couple beds, looks like. A couple, couple little beds. Little child-sized beds for him. And they're not home. And he assumes they've run off. And he does this whole, like, Sundere thing. He's like, oh, I didn't make it for them anyway. These are for you, Teak. Because Teak sleeps in two beds. <laughs> Not that I like you or anything, Baka. Baka. <laughs> but then they come home and they've been picking flowers. And it's super cute. They're like, we picked them. We're going to make a pie. And they do. And it's very sweet. And Wilford Brimley says it's the best pies he's ever eaten. And it's yeah. very cute. So Wilford Brimley has, like, gone from crusty mean old man to crusty mean old man who likes eating pies with children. Right. But the kids notice he leaves the house every day and kind of wanders off in the woods and they say, where's he going? So they decide to follow him out to the woods that day and they follow him and they find a grown over star cruiser in the middle of the forest. Right. And as they're approaching it, Wicket steps in the wrong spot and gets caught in a rope trap. Yeah, his ass gets snatched in a bear trap. Yep. Noah comes out. He's like, how could you follow me? Oh, you damn kids. You damn kids. But then he reveals that this is his old ship that he crashed here ages ago. With his friend Salak. Yes, with his friend Salak. Point. Well, Salik went off to look for a new power crystal and never came back. So now, ever since that time, Wilford Brimley has been all alone, and that might be why he's so crusty. Yeah, they have a little conversation on the ship. It's it's kind of a nice way to approach death in a kid's movie, I think. Like, Oh, that's not on the ship. That's later when they well, get that's back on the to ship. the That's house. on the ship. So Sindel's like, Salik is dead, right? He's like, yeah, I think so. And she's like, well, my parents are dead. It makes me sad. And they have this little talk about it. It's kind of a nice nice approach to bereavement in a kid's movie. They really don't shy away from it. They, like, acknowledge it. And she's very sad. I think actually you're right. I think maybe it is back in the house later. It is back in the house later. Yeah, sorry. We'll, yeah, we'll, it's after they, they have that band where Wilford Brimley is playing the recorder that sounds like a penny whistle. Oh, they do a jam band, yeah. Yeah. So they have this talk about death, and Sindel, at the end of it, 
sings a song for Wilford Brimley that's the lullaby that her mom used to sing for her. It's called My Star. Yes. It's very sweet. Here's a little, little taste of it. My star keeps me company and leads me through the night. My star watches over me and fills my dreams with light. Something's changed, but something shines forever as they are. In the sky, shining high, my star. It's very sweet. It's, it's very, very honest and very sweet. It's very sweet. But meanwhile, outside, there's a suspicious raven on a branch. Mm, oh, listening in. Yeah. Sindel wanders off. Is it the next morning? It is the next morning. So the next morning, they wake up, and Sindel's not there. She's lured out to the woods by the song of her mother. Sindel. And she hears someone singing, My Star. So she thinks it's her mom. So she wanders off and follows it and follows it. And Wolf of Millie's like, Where's she at? Where's she at? And because like, She ran off! And so they go chasing after her. And Sindel finds, instead of her mom, she finds this beautiful white-robed nymph woman. With this long, flowing blonde hair and a white stallion. A white majestic stallion shaking its mane around and there's like this kind of this soft filter over everything. She's like, oh, hello, who are you? Turns out, it's no beautiful white nymph. No, it's the witch and the horse is not even a white horse. It's, it's black! It's an evil black horse. It's Charles the witch! Not trying to be racist, Ryan, but that horse is black. Joanna. I don't see color. Like, I don't. The correct term all. is... It's e- all the same to me, but it's black. The correct term is Equin-American? <laughs> or Equin-Andorian in this Equin-Dorian case? Equin-Andorian in this case. The witch kidnaps Sindel. Of course. Brimley and Wicket... Antique. Antique have to go on this rescue mission. And what they're bringing is... Wilford Brimley is bringing a gun. Check. Wicket is bringing a grappling hook. Check. Which actually turns out to be more useful than you would think. Right. BT dubs. So the witch takes Sindel... To the Monster King's palace. Yeah, and Terok's like, Learn the power! How do I use the power? And Sindel's like, I literally have no idea. I'm five. I'm five, dude. Leave me alone. So he throws both her and the witch in the dungeon. Yeah, I was surprised the witch got thrown in the dungeon, too. And I have to mention this. There's a skeleton chained to the wall, and the witch tells Sindel that this is Salak. This is Noah's friend who went missing. Yikes! Yikes, indeed. Noah, Wicket, and Teak, they get to the castle, and there's a moat which I thought was filled with boiling acid, but I think there's just some kind of monster in it. It's an unseen bubbly monster. Yes. So it turns out that the grappling hook is actually useful. How prescient of Wicked. It's incredibly useful. They use it to get over the moat. In the process, some of those goons, some of those marauders, grab onto it. And Noah's still stuck on the other side. So Wicket does a cool sort of counterweight thing. And he kills a man. He's, he murders a man. He drops the man into the moat where it is eaten by monsters, and that buoys Noah up to, yeah. the, to the top of the rampart. And Wicked is a murderer. Yep. They sneak into the castle. The marauders are all drinking in, like, a mead hall, and they're, like, pouring beer onto motherboards for some reason, because, as we've established, they don't know how technology they works. They are very dumb. This is where Teak becomes, like, the MVP, because he zips in to the mead hall, steals some disguises, and then zips back out, and so Wicket and Noah pull the, like, two kids in a trench coat routine. Yeah, they do the Vincent Adult Man strategy. Right, where Wicket is up on Noah's shoulders and they're wearing one very long coat. And that allows them to sneak past the monsters. And they get down to the dungeon. 
Here again, Teak zips in to try and steal some keys from these monsters who are playing Sabak. Yeah, they have Sabak in this. One of the monsters sits on Teak's hand, and his reaction is hilarious. Yeah, Teak's got some pretty good physical acting. He's got like an animatronic face, but I think the little, little actor inside of there does a really good job. Yeah, he's like losing his mind over this monster. Yeah, she like his bites his hand. Like, he's like, like, oh! like when you bite your fist, you're like, <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny. It's like one of the funniest parts of the movie. Yeah. The monster guards end up conveniently killing each other. Yeah, and Wicked goes, yep, nub! Then Wicked lets all the Ewoks out, plus Sindel. Yeah, and he's about to let out Charl, the witch, and Sindel's like, no, she's evil! Which she I thought was awesome. Yells, not her! And she takes the keys from Wicked and throws them down a drainage drain. It's amazing. This is how much she does not want this witch out. It's very good. Sindel's like, this bitch can't be trusted. Nope. <laughs> not this bitch. Thankfully, Noah also packs some C4. Yeah! Like plastic explosive, and he attaches it to the wall of the castle and blows a hole in the wall. But of course, they're like a couple stories up, and they gotta get out of here. So they have to grappling hook the down. The grappling hook uses again. So they they slide across the hook one at a time. Wicked and Deej and all the other Ewoks are being chased by the Marauders, and they slide across and they get they get out to the other side. Everyone gets out alive. Yes, which is great. But the Marauders are gonna make chase. And at this point, Charles has turned into a raven. Yes, and. Tarok takes the ring from her. He does. This and is sends weird. her off as a raven to chase them. And he has the ring around his neck. And it doesn't really explain why he has the ring around his neck. No, it doesn't explain anything about this ring. It, yeah. I, it's a little bit weird. This this ring becomes sort of like a... A MacGuffin. A MacGuffin. It's a super MacGuffin. There's just like, is she going to be stuck as a raven forever? Is this going to be like a Tobias and Animorph situation? <laughs> exactly. She animorphed and she is not morphing back. I don't know. We don't, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Basically, they make chase on the Ewoks uh, with their full army. They have horses and they have tons of guys. There's also a lot of guns in this movie, we should mention. Like, the first movie only had one gun. And, and they, he only shot it at, like, a rock. But this movie has, like, full-on, like, blaster rifles and stuff. And they're and shooting at each other. And people dying. Like, yeah. frequently. Frequently. So, they go to Noah's star cruiser. Yeah. And he has the power core. You're right, from Sindel's parent ship. From Sindel's parent ship. And he's going to try and start the Star Cruiser up so they can all escape. And all the Ewoks are getting ready to defend it. Right. Ewoks start setting up all kinds of traps, like, you know, rolling some logs down hills. And, of course, like, the most famous Ewok trap, <laughs> shooting people point blank with arrows. Oh, it's so good. So people got, like, straight... They got arrows through them. Like there's, Through their chest. There's, like, straight-up dead marauders with arrows impaling them, much like Boromir. Uh, yeah, they use logs and ropes and arrows. They even use guns against them. Yes, they do. And they also have a catapult they built that they use to launch explosives. They launch bombs at these guys. It's they a, do. It's great. It's like people, the carnage is incredible. Ewoks are tough little dudes. Yes. Unfortunately, in the course of all this action, Wicked's ass gets snatched in a bear trap again. Again. So the Monster King decides, or no, it's some of his lackeys. Yeah. They decide that they are going to shoot him while he's dangling in the air. Yeah. Just to be spiteful. Let's shoot this, like, toddler Ewok while it's dangling. Fortunately, Deej gets into a catapult and launches himself oh. at these guys. And he ultimate tackles the guy trying to shoot with The ultimate Ewok tackle. He launches himself and saves his boy. But, unfortunately, right at that moment, the Monster King takes Sindel hostage and demands the power core. And Noah says... Why don't you fight me for it? Yeah. 1v1 me, bro. 1v1 me, bro. And so, again, Tarok has this huge sword, and Noah's got a Furby staff. Right. And they're going to duel. And they duel. They actually, he actually holds, off, holds them off pretty good. Yeah, this old man with a stick is, like, almost kicking this Monster King's ass a little bit. Yeah, he's getting pushed back, but he's still, like, holding his own. Yeah. And he fights his way back, and, and then Wicket shows up with Deej. Like, Noah's down. He's about to get chopped. 
But apparently this is prison rules. Yeah. Because Wicket jumps into this 1v1, and he somehow knows to sling a rock right at the ring? Yeah, so it should be mentioned, earlier in the movie, he has this sling with him, and he used it to throw a berry high into the sky and catch it in his mouth. Well, that was good training. That was foreshadowing for him launching a rock at the ring around King Tarak's neck. And cracking it. Crazy red energy flies out of it, covers up Tarak. He gets kind of like Ark of the Covenanted here. Well, he gets burned from the inside out. Like, light is coming out his mouth, out his eyes. He literally turns to ash. He's dried up, stone-manned, melted. It is scary. If I had seen this effect as a kid, I would have been very, very afraid. And I think it was just a lucky shot from Wicket, because I would not expect the ring to actually do that. Like, Like, can the ring do that? Apparently. It's never established this ring. I mean, obviously it's powerful, because it turns you into a raven. But, like, it was never established. Like, this thing will turn you into... uh, nasty statue well it did so yay yay but the day is one and so yeah they're able to fix the ship up and so there's kind of a, a sad goodbye because Sindel decides to go with noah to be with her own kind be with I her guess. own kind and leaving wicket and even teak behind i thought teak was going to come with but oh for sure there's like a tearful goodbye between noah and teak because teak has lived with noah in that little cottage for like a long time decades supposedly and like teak's crying yeah they're like platonic and... life partners and they gotta leave each other it's real i was genuinely sad and then Call yeah me a sap. and sindel's like i'll be back wicket don't worry i'll come back to see you the Star Cruiser takes off. It's basically the ending from E.T. There's even, like, them looking up into the sky, and there's lights and stuff. And Everybody is crying. Everybody's crying. Wicket and, and T kind of chase after the ship a little ways as they watch it fly off into orbit. And that's the end of Battle for Endor. In my head. Yeah. Sindel comes back when she's, you know, like, grown. Yeah. You know, like, maybe a teenager. Mm-hmm. She and Wicket rekindle their friendship, and eventually they have an interspecies marriage. Now, Wicket gets married to Princess Nisa. Not in my head. I think they can still remain best buddies, though. You think? I think so. As, like, cultural ambassadors for each other's cultures. I guess it makes sense. But I was really, like, rooting for them. I actually have some... Those kids to get together. I actually do have some some information from Wikipedia about these characters. Because oh, some of their you? stuff continued. Yeah. So, I, I, we didn't mention this, but these movies actually are supposed to take place around three... ABY, that's three years after the Battle of Yavin, so about a year before Return of the Jedi. Which is why it's puzzling that Wicket does not speak any English in Return well, of the Jedi, but that's neither here nor there. It's been suggested that it, perhaps the, the Sindel's family are not actually speaking basic. Oh. They may be speaking a different language. Oh, that would make sense. If they're speaking like Hatice or something, they might... Okay, so then he could speak Hatice, but not basic. Right. So that's why. That's been one of the theories thrown around by, by Star Wars writers. That makes sense. I like that. But anyway, apparently after they left the planet, Sindel traveled with Noah for many years, traveling across the galaxy, until he decided to retire somewhere in the mid-rim. And she actually grew up to become a journalist. Really? Yeah, she was kind of a, on, the, on, the, on the front lines, going and pushing microphones in people's faces for a publication, coincidentally enough, called The Life Monitor. No! <laughs> oh, just like her life alert bracelet. Yes. She had a lot of good articles about corruption within the government and stuff like that. Nice, Sindel. It's not mentioned that she ever went back to Endor, but... In my head canon, she went back after the rebels defeated the Empire and destroyed the Death Star 2. And I'm, I think she probably went back just to make sure all, all her friends were okay. I want to believe that. And Noah went back too to see Teak. So she made it into a few books and stories, which I was surprised. That's more than Ken got. As far as Ken the, got nothing. Our Jedi Prince entered his Mace? story. 
Mace dies. I mean, he so dies. So he's not gonna be anything. There's more information about Noah. Apparently, crash landed with Salak back in 26 BBY. So that's 26 years before the Battle of Yavin. Oh, so which he's means been there like 30 years. At the, yeah, at the time of the movie, he's been there almost 30 years. Wow. This is pretty wild. In the role of Noah, ABC suggested that Tom Selleck play him. What? But Lucas was like, no, no, no. We need someone older because... Tom Selleck was like... I mean, he wasn't even a silver fox at that point. He was just a fox. He was still still Magnum P.I. at that point. Yeah. Because at the time, Lucas's daughter, Amanda, she was about the same age as Sindel. Yeah. And the character of Sindel was kind of her hero. And so he thought, okay, for the second movie, I'm going to make the movie just focus on Sindel and Wicket. Because those seems to be like the characters that kids really are drawn to. Yes. And he watched Heidi with her recently, like at the, around the time of writing this movie. And he liked the idea of having Sindel be an orphan who has to have a companion and an old man. Yes. And so that's kind of where the character of Noah came to be. I love the fact that he's like, I like this old man orphan dynamic, so I'm just going to kill Sindel's whole family. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to take him to this old hermit. and cruel, but... But you think he's had it rough. I read the Marauders have been crash-landed there ever since 100 BBY. Oh, God. They've been there over a century. So wait, so presumably they had a star cruiser at one point. How do they not know how a power core well, works? Well, here's the deal. They're Sayasins, uh-huh. which are a species that never really advanced past feudal technology. And so these guys made it off-world. They managed to steal a spaceship. Oh. And they didn't know how to fly it. They s- oh and they crash-landed it. <laughs> Is that right? 100 years ago. Okay, so they, they, they did fly a spaceship, but very, very poorly, one time. One time. And they have no idea how it works. And at that time, they had Sheral with them. And she was retconned later to become uh, a Dathomir Night Sister. Do you know anything about the Dathomir Night Sisters? I do not. I'll talk about them at some point, but they're basically like a planet of evil force users. Like in the Clone Wars cartoon, that's the planet that Darth Maul and Savage Opress comes from. Oh. Or Saj Ventress, she's a Night Sister. Yeah. And so they kind of retconned her back into being one of those you know she looks nothing like any of the characters on dathomir interesting yeah and yes it says she was stuck as a raven forever <laughs> oh god that they specify what she'd have to be because the ring broke yeah if you played star wars galaxies the old mmo rpg and you went to endor you could actually get a quest from Sharal the night witch really and you could make you don't a- want to accept a quest from her she's well, evil. the quest was to create a poultice that used ewok saliva ew <laughs> so you had to get like go get an ewok to spit in your hand yeah Cool. Pretty weird. So yeah, this, as we know, this is the last of the Ewok movies. Lucas wanted to make more, but they were kind of becoming expensive. But, I can uh, see that. Lucas's biographer, John Baxter, described the Ewoks of Battle for Endor as a dry run for the movie Willow. And it really feels oh, like Willow. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's why... I mean, I liked both of them, but I liked yeah. the second one especially. And I yeah. think maybe it is because it has that sort of Willowish flair. Also... Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. It's in both. Warwick Davis, a witch, people transforming into animals, big stop motion creatures. It's got everything Willow's got. Yeah, it's pretty close. So if you yeah. like if you like Ewok Adventures movies, then watch Willow. It's kind of a spiritual sequel, I think. Ryan is like a big fan of Willow. That's probably why I like these movies, Joanna. Yeah. Final thoughts on the battle for Endor and the Caravan of Courage. One thing I would like to say is that I think it's very, very rare to have like a, a character, a four or five year old character in a movie that's actually likable. Yeah. A lot of times when you get a real little kid in a movie, they are super cloying, super annoying, or just kind of like useless. But I thought that Sindel was actually a pretty well-written four or five year old. Yeah, Sindel and Wicked are definitely the best characters in these movies. I think what helps is the fact that, like, she has genuinely tragic stuff happen to her, and 
she is genuinely reacting in, like, a sad and grief-stricken way mm-hmm. that, like, a little kid might react. Yeah, yeah. You know? She's not just dead weight, either. She pulls her she pulls her weight pretty good in Exactly. This like, she's not unrealistically smart for a kid, but she's also not super stupid. So I really like Sindel. She's, like, one of the few little kid characters that I actually like in a movie. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks you for those of you who have been interacting with our Facebook and on our SoundCloud. We really appreciate it. For those of you who have not interacted with us on Facebook... Shame on you! Well, yeah, shame on you for one thing. If you would like to... You can find us on Facebook at What's Lightsabers Precious. You can also find us on Twitter under the same name. You can find us, just search SoundCloud, you'll find us that way. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. I mean, there's like a lot of different ways to enjoy. I mean, I threw out this do. last time for, you know, again, there, there's, there's a high bounty on reviews and ratings on iTunes. And for all you bounty hunters out there, if you want to drop us a good review or give us a rating, let us know about it at What's Lightsabers Precious at gmail.com. And we'll record a message from producer Gollum. On your home answering machine. On your home answering machine. Which or <laughs> or create a song by the gonky and droid choir. So, you know. Or Joanna will write something on Elvis. She doesn't want to do it, but that's an option oh, as well. <laughs> she does Quinny. She's good. I don't know why anybody hasn't taken up on these valuable offers, but do it. Do it. I dare you. Like, do it. What are you, scared? Are you scared? Are you chicken? Buck, 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 bagok. I double dog dare you. Or leave us a review and let me know about it. Like, you know what, Joanna? I think I just feel like going for a walk. Do you feel like walking across the ocean a little bit? I would love to walk across the ocean. Okay, let's walk across and then fade away when we hit the horizon, okay? Just like Jesus Christ and or Sam. Let's go. Let's go. Bye. Bye. Bye.